Welcome to Kingdom Testimony. This is Lisa, and we are reading Intramuros. Actually, I am reading Intramuros, and you get to enjoy the story without having to read it yourself. Um, I love to read out loud. I don't know why. I just love to read out loud. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's why I'm doing this. And not only that, this is a really interesting story. I read the introduction uh, last week on the last episode. And this is uh, chapter one, or chapter I, Roman numerals. Uh, so let's get started, and I hope you enjoy it. She starts each chapter with um, like a poem. So, so I'll read those as well. When the holy angels meet us as we go to join their band, shall we know the friends that greet us in the glorious spirit land? Shall we see the same eyes shining on us as in days of yore? Shall we feel their dear arms twining fondly round us as before? Shall we know each other there? And that is attributed to Reverend R. Lowry. I was many hundred miles away from home and friends and had been very ill for many weeks. I was entirely among strangers and my only attendant, though of a kindly disposition, knew nothing whatever of the duties of the sick room. Hence I had none of the many delicate attentions that keep up an invalid's failing strength. I had taken no nourishment of any kind for nearly three weeks, scarcely even water, and was greatly reduced in both flesh and strength, and consciousness seemed at times to wholly desert me. I had an unutterable longing for the presence of my dear distant ones, the gentle touch of beloved hands, and whispered words of love and courage but they never came, they could not. Responsible duties that I felt must not be neglected, kept these dear ones much of the time in distant scenes and I would not recall them. I lay in a large comfortable room on the second floor of a house in Kentville. The bed stood in a recess at one end of the apartment and from this recess a large stained glass window opened upon a veranda fronting on the street. During much of my illness, I lay with my face to this window and my back to the room. And I remember thinking how easy it would be to pass through the window to the veranda, if one so desired. When the longing for the love distant faces and voices became more than I could bear, I prayed that the dear Christ would help me to realize his blessed presence. And that since the beloved ones of earth could not minister to me, I might feel the influence of the other dear ones who are all ministering spirits. Especially did I ask to be sustained should I indeed be called to pass through the dark waters alone. It was no idle prayer and the response came swiftly, speedily. All anxieties and cares slipped away from me as a worn out garment and peace, Christ peace, enfolded me. I was willing to wait God's time for the coming of those dear to me and said to myself more than once, if not here, it will be there. 
there is no fear of disappointment there. In those wonderful days of agonized suffering and great peace, I felt that I had truly found, as never before, the refuge of the everlasting arms. They lifted me, they upbore me, they enfolded me, and I rested in them as a tired child upon its mother's bosom. One morning, dark and cold and stormy, after a day and night of intense suffering, I seemed to be standing on the floor by, by the bed in front of the stained glass window. Someone was standing by me, and when I looked up, I saw it was my husband's favorite brother who crossed the flood many years ago. My dear brother Frank, I cried out joyously, how good of you to come. It was a great joy to me that I could do so, dear little sister, he said gently. Shall we go now? And he drew me toward the window. I turned my head and looked back into the room that somehow I felt I was about to leave forever. It was in its usual good order, a cheery, pretty room. The attendant sat by the stove at the farther end, comfortably reading a newspaper, and on the bed, turned toward the window, lay a white, still form with a shadow of a smile on the poor, worn face. My brother drew me gently, and I yielded, passing with him through the window, out onto the veranda, and from thence, in some unaccountable way, down to the street. There I paused and said earnestly, I cannot leave Will and our dear boy. They are not here, dear, but hundreds of miles away, he answered. Yes, I know, but they will be here. Oh, Frank, they will need me. Let me stay, I pleaded. Would it not be better if I brought you back a little later, after they come, he said with a kind smile. Would you surely do so, I asked? Most certainly, if you desire it. You are worn out with the long suffering, and a little rest will give you new strength. I felt that he was right, said so in a few words, and we started slowly up the street. He had drawn my hand within his arm and endeavored to interest me as we walked, but my heart clung to the dear ones whom I felt I was not to see again on earth, and several times I stopped and looked wistfully back the way we had come. He was very patient and gentle with me, waiting always till I was ready to proceed again. But at last my hesitation became so great that he said pleasantly, You are so weak, I think I had better carry you. And without waiting for a reply, he stooped and lifted me in his arms as though I had been a little child. And like a child, I yielded, resting my head upon his shoulder and laying my arm about his neck. I felt so safe, so content to be thus in his care. It seemed so sweet after the long lonely struggle to have someone assume the responsibility of caring thus tenderly for me. He walked on with firm swift steps and I think I must have slept for the next I knew I was sitting in a sheltered nook made by flowering shrubs upon the softest and most beautiful turf of grass thickly studded with fragrant flowers many of them the flowers I had known and loved on earth. I noticed, re I remember noticing heliotrope, violets, lilies of the valley, and mignonette, with many others of like nature wholly unfamiliar to me. But even in that first moment, I observed how perfect in its way was every plant and flower. 
For instance, the heliotrope, which with us often runs into long ragged sprays, there grew upon short smooth stems, and each leaf was perfect and smooth and glossy, instead of being rough and coarse looking. And the flowers peeped up from the deep grass, so that velvet with sweet happy faces as though inviting the admiration one could not withhold. And what a scene was that on which I looked as I rested upon this soft fragrant cushion, secluded and yet not hidden. Away, away, far beyond the limit of my vision, I well knew, stretched this wonderful sward of perfect grass and flowers, and out of it grew equally wonderful trees, whose drooping branches were laden with exquisite blossoms and fruits of many kinds. I found myself thinking of St. John's vision <clears throat> in the Isle of Patmos and the tree of life that grew in the midst of the garden, bearing twelve manner of fruits and whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. Beneath the trees in many happy groups were little children, laughing and playing, running hither and thither in their joy, and catching in their tiny hands the bright-winged birds that flitted in and out among them, as though sharing in their sports, as they doubtless were. All through the grounds older people were walking, sometimes in groups, sometimes by twos, sometimes alone, but all with an air of peacefulness and happiness that made itself felt by even me, a stranger. All were in spotless white, though many were about them or carried in their hands clusters of beautiful flowers. As I looked upon their happy faces and their spotless robes, again I thought these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Look where I would, I saw, half hidden by the trees, elegant and beautiful houses of strangely attractive architecture, and I felt that I felt must be the homes of the happy inhabitants of this enchanted place. I caught glimpses of sparkling fountains in many directions, and close to my retreat flowed a river with placid breast and water clear as crystal. The walks that ran in many directions through the grounds appeared to me to be, and I afterward found were, of pearl, spotless and pure, bordered on either side by narrow streams of pellucid water, running over stones of gold. The one thought that fastened itself upon me as I looked, breathless and speechless, upon this scene was purity, purity. No shadow of dust, no taint of decay on fruit or flower, everything perfect, everything pure. The grass and flowers looked as though fresh washed by summer showers, and not a single blade was any color but the brightest green. The air was soft and balmy, though invigorating, and instead of sunlight there was a golden and rosy glory everywhere, something like the afterglow of a southern sunset in midsummer. As I drew in my breath with a short, quick gasp of delight, I heard my brother, who was standing beside me, say softly, Well? And looking up, I discovered that he was watching me with keen enjoyment. I had, in my great surprise and delight, wholly forgotten his presence. Recalled to myself by his question, I faltered, Oh, Frank, that I, when such an empowering sense, overpowering sense of good, God's goodness and my own unworthiness swept over me, that I dropped my face into my hands 
and burst into uncontrollable and very human weeping. Ah, said my brother in a tone of self-reproach, I am inconsiderate. And lifting me gently to my feet, he said, Come, I want to show you the river. When we reached the brink of the river, but a few steps distant, I found that the lovely sward ran even to the water's edge, and in some places I saw the flowers blooming placidly down in the depths, among the many colored pebbles with which the entire bed of the river was lined. I, I want you to see these beautiful stones, said my brother, stepping into the water and urging me to do the same. I drew back timidly, say, saying, I fear it is cold. Not in the least, he said with a reassuring smile, come. Just as I am, I said, glancing down at my lovely robe, which to my great joy I found was similar to those of the dwellers in that happy place. Just as you are, with another reassuring smile. Thus encouraged, I too stepped into the gently flowing river, and to my great surprise found the water, in both temperature and density, almost identical with the air. Deeper and deeper grew the stream as we passed on until I felt the soft, sweet ripples playing about my throat. As I stopped, my brother said, a little farther still. It will go over my head, I expostulated. Well, and what then? I cannot breathe under the, under the water. I will suffocate. An amused twinkle came into his eyes, though he said soberly enough, we do not do those things here. I realized the absurdity of my position and with a happy laugh said, all right, come on, and plunged headlong into the bright water, which soon bubbled and rippled several feet above my head. To my surprise and delight, I found I could not only breathe, but laugh and talk, see and hear, as naturally under the water as above it. I sat down in the midst of the many colored pebbles and filled my hands with them as a child would have done. My brother lay down upon them, as he would have done on the green sward, and laughed and talked joyously with me. Do this, he said, rubbing his hands over his face and running his fingers through his dark hair. I did as he told me, and the sensation was delightful. I threw back my loose sleeves and rubbed my arms, then my throat, and again thrust my fingers through my long, loose hair, thinking at the time what a tangle it would be in when I left the water. Then the thought came, as we at last arose to return, what are we to do for towels? For the earth thought still clung to me, and I wondered too if the lovely robe was not entirely spoiled. But behold, as we neared the shore and my head once more emerged from the water, the moment the air struck my face and hair, I realized that I would need no towel or brush. My flesh, my hair, and even my beautiful garments were soft and dry as before the water touched them. The material out of which my robe was fashioned was unlike anything that I had ever, had ever seen. It was soft and light and shone with a faint luster, reminding more, me more of silk crepe than anything I could recall, only infinitely more beautiful. It fell about me in soft graceful folds, which the water seemed to have rendered even more lustrous than before. What marvelous water! What wonderful air, I said to my brother, as we again stepped upon the flowery sward. Are all the rivers here like this one? Not just the same, but similar, he replied. 
We walked on a few steps, and then I turned and looked back at the shining river flowing on tranquilly. Frank, what has that water done for me, I said. I feel as though I could fly. He looked at me with earnest, tender eyes, and he answered gently, It has washed away the last of the earth life, and fitted you for the new life upon which you have entered. It is divine, I whispered. Yes, it is divine, he said. That is the end of chapter one. And I'm going to read these in short chapters. Got a bird outside my window wanting to talk. And post these as short chapters. And that way they'll be easier just to go chapter by chapter. So thank you for tuning in. We're reading Intramuros. That was chapter one. This is Lisa and have a blessed day.